Our gracious God, we thank you so much for your, your precious word to us. We thank you that every time we open it and hear it read, uh, by your spirit, uh, you reveal Jesus to us more and more, what you have done for us in him, your love for us, your great plan of salvation, and how we can fit into it. Uh, we thank you for this particular passage and the incredible things we read and learn about who Jesus was and what he did. We pray for Tom as he comes to speak. Father, we pray that you might speak to us through him, uh, that we might reflect more and more your glory in our own lives and to the world around us. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, Mark 5, verses 21 to 43. <clears throat> when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and alive. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been, a sub who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors <clears throat> and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because, it, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against him, against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kuum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were all completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. <coughs>
Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us in your word. Uh, But Lord, we need your help. Uh, We ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would show us more of Jesus, and that you would transform us by seeing more of who he is. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been in a desperate situation? I'm pretty sure all of us can think of maybe one time we were in a desperate situation. Uh, I remember when I was about nine years old, um, and my class at school was having a bit of a pool party at the end of the year uh, at a local public pool. And um, there was a group of us jumping in the deep end, because as kids, that's what you do, you jump in the deep end. It's exciting. And I think we'd been, we'd been jumping in for quite a while, so I was getting a little bit exhausted with you know, hoisting myself back out of the pool over and over again, jumping in. Um, and the next time I jumped in, I realised that I was so exhausted, I couldn't even manage to stay above the water anymore. I was just that wrecked. Um, and so I started struggling around desperately. I was just trying to stay afloat. Uh, I was like thrashing my hands around. Um, and I started calling out for help. Um, I was desperate and also pretty embarrassed, looking like a bit of a fool, but I was desperate for help from someone else. I thought in that moment that there was actually nothing I could do anymore to get myself out of the situation. And so luckily one of my mate's dads was sort of in the area uh, and he jumped in the pool and he hung onto the side of the pool, stretched out his hand toward me and said, here, grab my hand. And so I grabbed on, he ripped me in, and everything was okay. But for a moment there, I was in a pretty desperate situation in the pool. I had a desperate need, and I was powerless without help from the outside. Well, the passage we're looking at today has two characters in desperate situations as well. Jairus and a nameless woman. Just to give some context, in the previous chapters of Mark's Gospel, before our passage, Jesus has done powerful miracles to demonstrate who he is. He was the one Israel had been waiting for, the Son of God, the Messiah. He's shown his power over nature uh, by calming the storm. He's shown his power over illness and over the spiritual realm. And earlier in chapter 5, Jesus casts out demons from a man in a Gentile area. And this was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And there the people pleaded with Jesus in verse 17 to leave their region because they feared him. And so he does, and he crosses back over the Sea of Galilee and returns to Jewish area. And that's where our passage begins today. Verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And it's here we're introduced to the first desperate character, the powerless, powerful man, Jairus. In verse 22, we learn that he's a synagogue leader. So he's someone with good status. He would would have been an important religious figure of the time. And Jairus, Jairus has probably heard of Jesus' ability to heal. He may have even seen Jesus perform miracles before. But he comes before Jesus and humbles himself. A man of high status, verse 22, 
he falls at Jesus' feet. He publicly humbles himself before the crowd. And Jairus begs Jesus to come and heal his daughter. Jairus pleads with him earnestly, verse 23, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jairus calls her his little daughter. And Mark brings out Jairus' tender affection for his daughter. Jairus really cares. We're told it's a young girl. She had a a deadly sickness and it's urgent. And Jairus trusts Jesus to be able to heal her. He trusts that Jesus can heal her. Come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jairus shows a reasonable amount of faith. He publicly declared his need for Jesus at his feet. That would have been quite humiliating for someone like Jairus, the synagogue leader. He must have been desperate. And so we read in the first part of verse 24, Jesus agrees to come with him. Jairus is a powerless and desperate man, but things were only going to get worse for him. Because of the second half of verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And then we're introduced to the second desperate character who's in the crowd, the nameless woman. She has no name in any of the gospel accounts. And she has a long-term illness, we're told, in verse 25. She'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And because of her bleeding, she would have been considered ceremonially unclean, which would have made her an outcast in society. In verse 26, we learn that doctors had failed her and that she had suffered a great deal under their care. Doctors didn't help the illness. Instead, she grew worse. And she'd spent all she had trying to get better. So here we have someone who's at the other end of the social ladder to Jairus. Jairus has a name. He's an important public figure. He would have been wealthy. But this woman was nameless, poor and unclean because of her illness. And remember, Jairus' daughter is on the verge of death. This woman's situation isn't quite as urgent as Jairus' is. Verse 25, she'd suffered for 12 years. And you notice another contrast. Jairus was forthright. He came before Jesus and fell at Jesus' feet. But not surprisingly, the nameless woman doesn't seek to make a big drama about it. She sought to go unnoticed. She was timid. But her faith was great. Because she didn't need much at all from Jesus. She recognised that Jesus could heal her. And she didn't even want to touch Jesus. Just his clothes. We learn that in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. And then there is this immense relief for her. After 12 years of suffering, she was immediately healed. Verse 29. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
Both Jairus and the woman, despite their differences, were in the same state of dependence before Jesus. They didn't have anything to bring. They didn't have anything to bargain with Jesus, try and get him to do something. They just had to come before him and fall at his feet. They just had to trust Jesus. So what's Jesus going to do? Well, in verse 30, he realizes that power had gone out from him. It's a little bit tricky to know what that means. What does it mean? Jesus knows that power has gone out from him. Well, it probably just means Jesus knows that someone has touched him in faith and been healed. And so he stops to find out who touched him. Continuing in verse 30, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples think that's a silly question and take Jesus the wrong way, which is understandable. You see the people crowding against you and yet you can ask who touched me? You're in a crowd. Of course people are going to be touching you. But of course Jesus knew that people were touching him. But he also knew that someone had touched him out of faith. And so Jesus doesn't answer the disciples' question. But instead, in verse 32, he kept looking around to see who had done it. Imagine the woman, how she would be feeling right now. She would have probably seen the disciples ask this question and she would have known that she's the only one that can give the answer Jesus is looking for. And she would have seen Jesus' eyes scanning the crowd. Well, in those days and in that culture, it usually wasn't appropriate for a woman to speak in public. And let alone the fact that she was unclean because of her illness and she deliberately touched Jesus, she must have thought, what's going to happen to me? Is Jesus going to scold me if I come forward? Is Perhaps he's going to take my healing away that I've received. Is it even worth coming forward? And so then, it's no surprise to us, is it, that the woman came in verse 33, trembling with fear to tell the whole truth. She fell at his feet, and told him everything that had happened about her sickness and what she had done. What a risk she took. And just like Jairus in verse 22, they both fall at Jesus' feet. They're both equal before Jesus. And they're both desperate before Jesus. And this is a tense moment. What's going to happen? How will Jesus respond? She's a poor, sick old lady who's interrupted Jesus. But how does Jesus respond? He shows deep compassion for her. He accepts her. Daughter, verse 34. There's a closeness in that word. Daughter. And even though she may have been older than him, he treats her like a father treats his child. He is tender towards her. And then he commends her faith. It's not as if her faith was magical, but it was how Jesus' power was applied. Verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. He gives his approval to the woman's healing. It was her own trust in the person of Jesus that he commends publicly in front of the crowd, and he glorifies God. 
And then Jesus completes the loop. He affirms the immediate healing she received in verse 29 when she first touched his clothes. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It's beautiful, isn't it? But there's something else going on here, isn't there? What about Jairus? Imagine what Jairus is thinking of this whole thing. Well, in August last year, there was an international flight from uh, India to Dubai, carrying about 300 passengers, and the plane crashed upon landing, and um, smoke started filling the plane, so people had to evacuate as quickly as they could. Um, However, shockingly, video was taken of the passengers going back to their carry-on luggage instead of evacuating the plane as quickly as they could. So the passengers gave their belongings priority over the lives of others. And the flight crew were desperate for people to evacuate and leave their bags behind. Well, luckily, all the passengers survived, despite the plane exploding moments after the evacuation. But it's obvious to us that the passengers didn't see how urgent the situation really was. Well, you can imagine Jairus feeling a similar way to the flight attendants. They were frustrated that people didn't understand how serious the situation was. It was a life and death situation. When Jesus stopped for the woman, Jairus probably would have felt a similar frustration. His daughter was in a life and death situation. Yet Jesus stopped for the woman. Imagine Jairus' frustration and angst, and it's reasonable, right? He must have been thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are we stopping? My daughter's on the verge of death. It's more urgent. This isn't as urgent. But my daughter's going to die. Can we, can we hurry up, please? Let's go. That's what he would have been thinking, right? And then in verse 35, his world comes crashing down. All the doubt and angst he would have been feeling, it seems legitimate now. You were too late, Jesus. The sudden heartache and the hopes crossed as people from the house of Jairus come and deliver the terrible news to the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Mark makes special mention that he is a synagogue leader. Socially, he was more important than the woman. He has a title. And the situation seems a bit more important. But despite the sadness, the news comes with an assumption, doesn't it? Sure, Jesus, he's a powerful teacher. He might be able to even heal sick people. He might be able to heal Jairus' daughter. But Jesus can't do anything against death. So the messengers say, why bother the teacher anymore? Stop. Forget it. Seems blunt and hopeless, doesn't it? But Jesus has something to say straight away. It's offensive confidence. In the face of death, how can anyone say this? Verse 36, he overhears what they said and he told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid. It's the most repeated three words in the entire New Testament. Who is Jesus to say this? Well, of course, we know who he is. But to Jairus, 
This is shocking. And then we notice a change in the passage. From this point on, Jesus takes charge. He removes many of his disciples and the crowd from seeing what he would do. In verse 37. And then the scene shifts to the house of Jairus. People are fresh with the terrible news and are grieving intensely. People were letting it all out with little restraint. restraint. And Jesus saw them, verse 38. But then he questions their actions. Why all this commotion and wailing? Then he reveals something to them that seems offensive again. Jesus again seems to be offensively confident. And it would have confused everyone. The child is not dead but asleep. What does he mean by that? It was obvious the child was dead and the mourners knew it because in verse 40, verse 40 they laughed at him. The child really was dead and they knew it so they mocked Jesus. But to Jesus the child was only asleep because he was about to wake her up from death. Death would not win. And as you wake someone up from a natural sleep, so Jesus was going to rejoin body and soul. But first we notice that he puts people out again. In the second half of verse 40, he excludes the mourners and those mocking him and he took only the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And what tension there would be at this point, right? It's the highest point of tension in the whole chapter. And Jesus is tender to her. Again, he is tender. Jairus, er, earlier, asked simply for Jesus to lay his hands on her, back in verse 23. But Jesus goes a step further in verse 41. He took her by the hand. And as a father wakes a child, he said something to her. Her parents may have said to her many times before. In her native Aramaic tongue, he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, they didn't wait around for a few seconds to let it all kick in. Instantly, straight away, her spirit returned, verse 42. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. And Mark makes mention of her age, probably to remind his readers that she was, as Jesus had said, a little girl. She was 12 years old. And of course, we're not surprised that they were completely astonished. Astonished to the highest amount possible. An amazing miracle had just taken place before their eyes. And then verse 43, Jesus gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Why? Well, Jesus knows his ultimate task. He knows why he is here, that his hour had not yet come, that he came to earth to die but he wanted to do it at the right time and no earlier. He gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told her, told them to give her something to eat. 
as if the parents were too taken with amazement to realize that she hadn't eaten for a while because of her illness. And what a way to end the passage. Jesus shows his power over death itself and he heals sicknesses instantly. He doesn't show favoritism and is deeply compassionate to people who have desperate needs. He met both characters' desperate needs. But it's not just about seeing what Jesus does. It's about seeing more and more who he is. The Son of God, God himself. Jesus knew there was a much deeper need to be met. A far greater problem, greater than any physical need. Our spiritual death. Our broken relationship with God. A problem where we are at our most desperate. At the cross, he dealt with that problem. God dealt with that problem. Isn't that remarkable? God on a cross. There's a song called Jerusalem, which uh, we sung at times at year 13. Um, I think we've sung it here maybe a couple of times. But one of the verses says, See the king who made the sun and the moon and shining stars. Let the soldiers hold and nail him down so that he could save them. He met our greatest need. Jesus says to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Then he went and he hung on a cross and faced death. And he was vindicated in his resurrection. His resurrection shows us that he's worthy of our trust. The healer of the desperate. In him we have rest. And we too don't have to be afraid. Maybe today you feel a little bit like the nameless woman. You might feel like you're not worthy to come to Jesus. That maybe you've made too many mistakes for him to accept you. You think that God couldn't love you anymore. But look at Jesus in this passage. He accepts the nameless woman. He calls her daughter. And he accepts you if you come to him in faith. And so this gives us great confidence. Jesus doesn't show favoritism. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you feel you're more in Jairus' position. You might be in a place where you're comfortable and secure, happy, you've got a really good job, you live a prosperous life. You might not really see your desperate need for Jesus. But where do you place your confidence? The passage showed us that Jairus was just as dependent on Jesus as the woman. His money, his status, his wealth, his high position in society, it, didn't, it couldn't do anything against death. And we too are equally and utterly dependent on Jesus for a much deeper need. And Jesus' death and resurrection gives us an immovable hope, even in the face of death. 
Like Jairus, we're never too well off to need him. And like the woman, never so lowly that we can't come to him. In him we find our most desperate need met. And now we have full access to God. And we're invited to be his children. As the song continues, See the empty tomb today, death could not contain him. Once the servant of the world, now in victory reigning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have met our most deepest need, where we're at our most desperate. We thank you that you are compassionate to us, even when we don't deserve it. We pray that the knowledge of what you've done would uh, shape us, that we would know that we are all equally dependent before you. It would shape the way we do evangelism. And I pray that we would live transformed lives based on what you've done for us at the cross and that we would live in the hope of the resurrection. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.